England's golden generation never really got close to winning a major tournament. Fabio Capello fell well short of expectation. Sven-Joran Eriksson was constantly stymied at the quarter-final stage. Gareth Southgate has his faults, but he delivered a World Cup semi-final and a European Championship final with only an agonising penalty shootout denying the three Lions glory at Wembley. Now Southgate's England are in the last eight of the World Cup again and Kylian Mbappe's France stand in their way. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is World Cup Only Better. Big games require the big names. Mark O'Hare in our top-tipping team today. Mark, there's always a flood of patriotic betting for England anyway, even when they're garbage. But they have been one of the tournament's most impressive teams. Yeah, they have been. Um, I don't think they're as far behind France as perhaps the, the betting suggests for this match or in terms of the outrights either. Um, I think there's a lot to be positive about from an England perspective if you were to get past France got a semi-final against Portugal or Morocco, uh, and then you're in the final. So I think there's a, a certainly a path to get through. Uh, still, I think there are doubts over the defence individually, maybe not collectively. I think Pickford's always capable of having a moment. Uh, and the midfield, though, is working very well going forward. They've got options, technical ability and, uh, and, and finishing ability, which few teams can sort of match them in this competition. So there's a lot to like about them. Every team in this competition is flawed. England have theirs. But um, I think that recent experience of, of just uh, reaching a Euros final, playing in a Euros final, playing in a World Cup semi-final is a massive bonus. And a lot of these players have come through the, the youth system of England and had similar experiences too. And there's a, I think there's a shared belief, a shared confidence in the, in the camp that England can go the distance and beat France this weekend. So um, I think that's possibly been a... Uh, something that's not been capable of, of England teams in the past. You know, they might be able to play for the biggest teams and play in the biggest matches in club football, but when they've come together, they perhaps lack that self-belief. Uh, but I think this current crop certainly do believe they're capable of going the distance. Um, England have never won a knockout game, certainly since 1990, when they've been underdogs. So if they were to get past this match, it's quite significant. It's quite historic, really. And I just think um, that's something to obviously aspire to. But... Um, I found this game really difficult to, to choose because I do think England are better than the, the prices suggest. Very wary that France have obviously huge amounts of ability in forward areas themselves. But I think from a betting perspective, it's just a, a wariness of Gareth Southgate and Didier Deschamps because they're they're pragmatic by nature. They are cautious. They are conservative. Um, they've shown that they can release the shackles and, and play with the handbrake off in the past four, eight, 12 years, however long they've been in charge of their, their national teams. But... You know, we talked about it in in the first uh, preview show for the first batch of quarterfinals. That um, and this is a World Cup quarterfinal. You're playing one of your biggest rivals, and you're both very well matched in, in similar areas. I just wonder whether a bit of fear factor could take over in terms of the team selection. And from an England perspective, that might mean going back to a, a three-man defence. I don't think they should, but I think it's it's certainly possible that they would do that to try and combat the French threats. But also, I think from a, a French perspective. Wouldn't be too surprised if Deschamps decided that I can't really play all of Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele and Griezmann in a World Cup quarter-final. And I wouldn't be too shocked if Dembele was to step out and an extra midfielder went into that team. Because um, you know, it is quite something to go into a World Cup quarter-final with, with that amount of key attacking players. And there's not a huge amount of tracking back from, from the flanks in that French team. Uh, England, I think you've probably got a bit more energy and um, 
uh, awareness to, to do the, the sort of dirty work. And I think Henderson filling that role as well certainly allows England a bit more stability in that middle middle area of the field. But yeah, that's just the sort of wariness and, and concern I possibly have. Uh, just you've got two pragmatic coaches in charge of a, a very sort of finely balanced World Cup quarterfinal contest. We could easily see a a cagey contest, which I know I'm probably going against what many people are expecting from this match, which is, you know, an end-to-end shootout, really, considering the talent they have on both sides of the pitch. But England's shot numbers, despite scoring 12 goals, they've only had 47 shots in this competition, and they've only generated 6.36 expected goals. So they're already converting at a very unsustainable rate. They had eight shots against Senegal, eight shots against USA, 13 against Iran. Um, They're not you know, racking up shots and racking up clear-cut opportunities. They've been very clinical, very efficient, and on the eye test, they certainly are passing things. But, you know, I know France have conceded in all their matches, but this is this is different. I think you can France will be taking this game in a, in a much different manner to how they took on, let's say, Australia, Tunisia, and dare I say Poland as well, where I thought they were possibly expecting to play in this quarter-final before they'd even taken to the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sort of sold in this game being a... a, a an over two and a half goals banker, as I think some possibly are. So um, I would again possibly sort of go down the same angle I did with the uh, Netherlands match against Argentina and look towards potentially going under two and a half goals and backing the draw. Uh, if I had to choose either team, I'd probably back England with a quarter goal start here. I think the draw is a very big runner. Um, but uh, I think if you did back the draw and under two and a half goals blindly in every knockout game in the World Cup and every quarter final contest since 1990, you'd be returning around a 35% ROI, which is. Uh, going some actually but uh, obviously you can't pack blindly in every game but um, I think this is as the odds suggest that the tightest match of all the the quarterfinal contests and uh, I think the draw is a big runner. Trader and tipster Emmett O'Keefe is with us once again. Emmett what have you made of the French so far because I guess their truest test was against Denmark and they had to really push to get through and Mbappe making the difference there. We know Mbappe is you know some would tell you he's the world's best player. I wouldn't massively disagree with that, to be honest. But what about the rest of the team? Because you look at midfields, there are gaps there. No Pogba, no Conte. Sure, many a great talent, but not a lot of experience at the highest level. Rabio is Rabio. I mean, you know, some people <laughs> think he's decent. Um, but there are problems there. And in defence, is Varane fully fit? Upamecano's got a mistake in him. So England can go into this with a bit of a bit of vim and vigour, can't they? Absolutely. I think, as as Marco Harris said, the big thing to me is that that kind of th- this isn't a typical Deschamps team. Like this team is playing far more attractive football than the twenty eighteen vintage. Twenty eighteen, like France twenty eighteen. I know that they kind of had a high goal total in the final against Portugal. Sorry, against Croatia. But for the most part in that tournament, France France stoked the place, stoked the joint out, and were horrible to watch. I thought. Whereas this team, like, I've, I've with with kind of the key. To me, in terms of their fluency, has been dropping Griezmann back to midfield. To me, I haven't seen Antoine Griezmann play this level of football in years. I think he's since he's since maybe maybe before he joined Barcelona. I think he's he's looked he's looked incredible in that midfield role. He's really kind of because as you as, as you could have said that with Chimani and Rabiot, they're none of them like they're both good players. But you wouldn't say they're kind of great progressive passers. Going to necessarily link the midfield and the attack brilliantly, but Griezmann gives them that link. And then I think. Players who, again, like you said, would you trust Adrian Rabiot at club level? Absolutely not. But for, for he seems to be locked in with France and playing at a level that he wouldn't necessarily play at. Similarly, I watched Osman Dembele for, um, for, 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 for Barcelona against Inter Milan and that crunch Champions League tie. His decision-making was appalling. And he's like, he can, 
he's, he's a really talented player, but his decision-making can wax and wane, and his sometimes I think his effort levels can't, but he's absolutely fully locked in on this tournament and is really playing for the team. So I think, again, you have to say credit, credit to Deschamps is that he's getting these players who can sometimes be inconsistent to really buy in. Um, the crack, the only cracks you would say you'd seen in France, armor was probably against Poland, especially in that first half, when kind of Peter Zielinski really played well for Poland in terms of kind of advancing the ball. And France didn't really kind of press them at all. They kind of, they kind of home back and Poland actually won the XG battle in that game and kind of looked decent for long stretches. Poland had a few chances. Like, the, I think up, in, up until then, until that Poland game, obviously France were pretty bulletproof in terms of their form with their kind of, with their thrashing of Australia actually looking looking a far better result given Australia's subsequent performances. But I think that performance against Poland would give England hope that maybe like that, that like they won't necessarily press England high and England might be able to kind of to have find it easier to kind of to kind of advance the ball. But um, I'd also echo everything Mark O'Hare said about the kind of two defensive managers here. I think both managers will know the kind of the bad matchups. Like we we all know that the fullbacks in this and this these matches are kind of are all at a disadvantage, especially for England. Like Luke Shaw is not a good defensive fullback. Um, like. Kyle Walker got like didn't look fit against his male Asar. His male Asar got the better of him. So you've got Mbappe and Debele against those two fullbacks, and I think Southgate will know the issues that could potentially, potentially give the team. So I think that might see a more even more cautious approach than usual. And similarly, I think Bakayo Saka can really get the better of Theo Hernandez. Theo Hernandez is a lot better going forward than he is going back. And again, I think that's something Deschamps will know, and, and so I think that can kind of that kind of play into kind of both teams' approach. I think just the one thing I'd say about England is that I think a lot of the media and the fans, as an outsider, a lot of the fans are kind of portraying this team as a bit of an underdog a little bit. Like England, this England squad is worth 1.26 billion according to the website. According to the website, Transfermarkt, they have a more expensive squad according to Transfermarkt than both Brazil and France. And to be honest, I'd, it partly, it is partly, but I, I, again, I, I do think it speaks to the quality of the squad. I think like, I think this is, you spoke with England's golden generation. I think this is the golden generation. I think this is a better squad than the 2000s. Like, if you look at the... I was looking at the back this against Brazil in 2002. England players like Danny Mills and Emil Heskey in the starting eleven with, like, Tre- Trevor Sinclair and Darius Fussell on the bench. They're all decent players, no offence to them. But I think just the, the, the depth of squad in, the, in this in this team is a lot stronger. In, in 2006 against Brazil, England's attacking subs were Aaron Lennon and Peter Crouch. Like, if you look at England go behind against France... Gareth Southgate is one of the most gifted attacking fullbacks of, of of his generation. Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's three high high quality attacking midfielders and Mason Mount, Jack Grealish and James Madison. He's Marcus Rashford in red, in red hot form. I mean, and obviously, it normally, if obviously the terrible circumstance where Raheem Sterling had happened, he'd be an option as well. And you've consistent Callum, a Premier League goal scorer in Callum Wilson. So I think England have, England actually have a deeper squad than France. Like that's where the Christopher and Conco injury would kind of play into it for France. If France are down with twenty minutes to go or goes to extra time, obviously we know Kingsley Coman is, 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 is a good bench option. But like Marcus Thuram has been in good form in the Bundesliga this season. Like I'm not, he's not proven at like a really top top level. I would say in in a way that kind of for France had in the past. We look through the French bench. I don't think I don't think it's, it's that strong. It's not as strong as maybe it would have been in tournaments past. So I think if England can take this into extra time, it really kind of will would play play into play into their favour. I 
just what would make me just slightly in France, France's favour without any massive confidence is just the England, just question marks over the England defence. We just with John Stones coming off with 13 minutes to go against Senegal. If he's anyway not fully fit, I think that that could be problematic. Harry Maguire has had a good tournament, but we have an 18 month sample size of being a total liability at club level which I'm not prepared to dismiss. And he hasn't been playing. He's been playing against poor opposition this tournament. The acid test is when he's up against in space against Kylian Mbappe. And I think, and just the, again, I think with Colin Walker again, not fully fit, and up against the kind of the strength that France have in the wings, I just I can just see France, France as a really talented attacking player is probably having a few more moments than England at that might edge it. But I think the stronger bets I'd have would be in the in the in in the props markets, this would help. It would help if England play kind of a midfield three. So Drew Belling would be kind of fully freed up to attack. But where whichever position he plays, fifteen date for a shot on target is definitely big. He's had two two already in the tournament. He averages two shots a game for Borussia Dortmund. I think especially if England are down, I think Bellingham is the kind of player I'll take responsibility on and, and look at take a shot on. So I think that's definitely worth including in any of your bet builders. I think one of the lads will have a. We'll have a selection read Theo Hernandez coming up, but he's around he's around three to one for a card. And up against Bisayo, up against Bakayo Saka, Hernandez is one of the consistently one of the most carded players in, in, in European club football. And even with referees probably reluctant to show the card in this tournament. I can see I can see this game maybe being slightly more card happy, just 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 with the quality of the of the, of the attacking players on show. And, and probably I can see them kind of drawing more fret fouls that we kind of see in some of the average games so far. So, yeah, Hernandez and, and Bellingham, the two kind of bet builder selections out of. Master of the Sustainable Edge, odds compiler and maths whiz, Mark Stinchcombe here once again. Stinch, two teams full of top talent. You look at those match odds, France 2.56, England 3.15. Is that about right to you? Where would you go with this one? Yeah, I think so. I think Deschamps, you know, has been there, seen it, done it, proved it. Gareth Southgate's got everything to prove in terms of actually winning a major tournament. So very happy um, to accept the France should be favourites. I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. You made a, a great point in the start that England often prices is, is dominated by... Um, not home advantage, but in terms of, you know, patriotic punting, um, I think there is a, an element of that uh, happening here. I think I, I did expect France to, to be shorter, um, but I also maybe down to the fact that obviously France missing Benzema, Nkunku, Pogba, Kante, lots of, you know, first choice players, whereas England only really without Sterling and he's not necessarily first choice uh, at the moment. So that, that I think that could be part of it. I th- I think this match is, I think as the guys kind of alluded to, the, it's it's difficult to know how to approach it until you kind of work out whether it's going to be heavy in terms of chance creation, in terms of do we think there will be goals? Because I'm quite surprised to see that it's the only the third most likely game to go under two and a half goals of the four quarterfinals. So there's other games that are expected to be lower scoring than this. But I think the guys are absolutely right that that there is a chance that both managers just revert to type and play with the handbrake on. Um, I was interested though, and I sort of, it jolted my memory that these these two managers have met before in a friendly. It was a long time ago. It was in 2017, but that did actually finish 3-2. 
Um, many of the same players will play that played in that game will play in this one. So I think it's all about when the first goal goes in, because obviously, as, as most games, that's when that's when things open up. So as I'm not really sure whether whether it's going to be overs or, or, or unders, generally, you like um, as a sort of um, realist, you, uh, in terms of a punter, you, you'd side with the unders, but you wouldn't want to be backing unders at a four to six. You know, VAR things like that can or can throw that out of the the mix straight away. So I've just gone for some some big prizes that I'm I'm quite happy to cheer on uh, this weekend. Um, I quite like the look of Harry Kane and Mbappe both to have two or more shots on target, which has been boosted to 11 to one. Um, Harry Kane um, historically 1.6 shots on target per game. Kylian Mbappe 1.7, very close to that too. So 11 to one, very juicy. Uh, Bakaya Saku to score any time around about 6.0 on the exchange. I think that's quite a nice price. I think he's probably in the best form of his club and in international career. No first choice starting. For England, I would imagine, um, already scored three goals in the tournament. And you look further back, it's now seven goals in his last 13 starts for England. So it's not something that's uh, short term here. It is a longer longer term that he is scoring goals. You look, you consider the fact that Harry Kane is 17 to 10 to score. Obviously, he's on penalties in the central <coughs> striker. But um, I think that's quite a big jump when you're just moving from the central striker to the, the winger, still an attacker, to, to go to that price. And the other one was Kyle Walker to be shown a card at 7-2. In the last 16 matches for France, where Kylian Mbappe has started as a designated <coughs> wide man, not as a striker in a two that drifts wide, but as a guy that's played in a 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 as the actual wide player. Um, his opposition fullback have been booked in seven of those 16 games. So that's, you know, it's a strike rate of over 40%. And Kyle <coughs> Walker to be carded is 7-2, is which is obviously a price that's closer to 20%. Um, but worth bearing in mind, obviously, the referees have been very, very tame so far in terms of their card showing. Worth bearing in mind that you can get a £5 free bet when you place a £5 bet builder on selected World Cup matches. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. We've put together a bet builder for you, which comes out at just over 20 to 1. I'll start with Emmett's selection uh, for this particular bet builder. I think you've already mentioned it, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. So just uh, for the reasons outlined, uh, Jude Bellingham, Sean Tarr would be my best uh, bet builder selection. And Stinch, what would you put in? Yeah, I really like Kyle Walker to commit two or more fouls. I think it is the key matchup in the game. France's best player is Kylian Mbappe. You look at Kyle Walker um, not being fully fit against Senegal. He came up against Ismail Assar. He committed two fouls in that game. Um, you know, Ismail Assar, I'm not, I don't think he's that great at all. You know, Played well in this tournament, in though. Played really well against Ecuador. Uh, I mean, there's a reason he's playing in the championship. He's still right, <laughs> second second time. I mean, if he's like a, I don't know, uh, a mini Metro, you know, Mbappe's the Maserati, right? Yeah. That Walker's coming up against. <laughs> so Walker two fouls against um, Ishmael Assar, and he committed one foul in just 57 minutes against Wales as well. So I think this not being fully fit is actually gonna maybe backfire. Um, but potentially with the five subs, you know, you get you take your yellow and then Kieran Trippier comes on for extra time or late on in 90 minutes for that set piece quality. So, yeah, Kyle Walker to commit two or more fouls at 17 to 10. Um, I was happy with anything sort of over evens. I think that's a, a very good price. And Mark? Yeah, I love that. And Walker, um, I'm going to take the, the French uh, player playing opposite him in defence, Teo Hernandez, to commit two or more fouls 
at 2.7 as well. Uh, Mbappe, we know about his quality going forward, but that does leave his left back a little bit exposed at times. And Teo himself is, is outstanding going forward, but a bit of a liability at times. Defensively too, and he likes putting his foot in, likes getting involved if there is a bit of argy-bargy. So um, you expect him to be a, a competitive game miss, and uh, I would sort of, uh, I guess one of his negatives is his temperament, and uh, that could easily come out to, to play in a match like this. So I thought that price was, was quite nice. So that game's at seven on Saturday. At three, we've got the game between Portugal and Morocco. Portugal, the 1.73 favourites after they destroyed <coughs> Switzerland. But Morocco, with <coughs> just about the perfect defensive <coughs> display, defied Spain, took them to penalties and got through. And Stinch, I imagine it'll be rinse and repeat, won't it? That's going to be exactly what Morocco will do again. Yep, so Morocco, the obviously surprise inclusion in the in the quarterfinals. Obviously, it's been a, a tournament of upsets, but still we have probably, we have at least six of the expected quarterfinalists here. Croatia, the sort of seventh one, maybe they wouldn't ex be expected to be here instead of Belgium. But uh, yeah, so Morocco are the massive, massive outsiders here. Um, you know, no, no right to be here based on the pre-tournament odds, but every right to be here in terms of how they've played. Been absolutely phenomenal defensively. That's that's the cornerstone of of their approach to games. And then, you know, they know they've got um, top-level players um, in, in Ziyech, uh, Bufal and El Nezri up front to sprinkle that bit of uh, magic if they do get the opportunity. Um, you look at the fact that Morocco games have seen just five goals in, in the four matches. Impressively kept clean sheets against all of Spain, Belgium and Croatia. And you're like, oh, OK, you know, that must have been a bit of luck. You know, three games, small sample size. Absolutely not. Um, impressively conceded just 8.3 shots per game. And in those games, they've conceded just 2.98 expected goals. That's less than one expected goal per game. That's just absolutely amazing. And even more, I can't, I don't, I can't work it out. Like even more impressive is they're averaging the second lowest possession in the whole tournament at just 33%. So they're giving up tons of the ball, but they're not giving away chances. So their ability to stop challenge creation has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, I think we do need to be wary that obviously they've done 120 minutes against Spain. Uh, Romain Sice looked, you know, he's obviously their leader there at the back. It looks as though he came off with a with an injury. It didn't look good, so that, did it? When he went off. No, you look... you. You'd be concerned there, but there is, you know, there is that that break from Tuesday to Saturday. It's not a three-game turnaround, so there is that break to, to rest and recuperate. And I think they will be able to come up with a with a game plan to to stifle Portugal. Obviously, it's a Portugal probably without Cristiano Ronaldo, which is something is unheard of for the last twenty odd years. So how you know can we just look at the game against Switzerland and say they'll play exactly that way again we know again Fernando Santos is another manager that that sometimes plays with the handbrake on so I'm not sure how that one's gonna gonna uh, play out but I do think out of out of all the games I think this one is um the the, the best bet in terms of backing under two and a half goals in, in my mind it's it's around about 1.75 on the exchange and yeah, as I mentioned, Morocco games have just seen five goals in, in those four matches. I'm happy to, to lean on that they're going to play in, in exactly the same the same manner. And I also thought maybe nil-nil around about odds of 10 would, would perhaps be uh, one to throw a dart at as well. The only, my only reservation there is uh, I've been back in nil-nils for years and years and years and years and years but I, I think I've noticed over the last few years that my success rate has, has waned and I think that's that's come down to VAR 
I think in some, you know, we've seen it. It takes it, it takes absolutely nothing to get a penalty. Um, it seems it's it's easier to get a penalty than it is to get a genuine goal. Sometimes when VAR gets involved, and and obviously we know penalties of a expected goal uh, percentage of eighty percent are very very high as soon as as soon as that happens. So. Um, Obviously, Morocco and Spain finished finished nil nil, and Spain could barely uh, have a shot. So I think there is a, a chance that it could be that again. Uh, Croatia, uh, Morocco also finished nil nil as well. So uh, maybe that could be worth a, a, a big price. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one, this isn't it? Because Portugal kind of surprised us all really with dropping Ronaldo, playing Gonzalo Ramos, who scored a hat trick and was brilliant. We know he's been great for Benfica at club level this season. But that ability to drop Ronaldo has kind of opened up all all manner of options because you've got Joao Felix, you've got Rafael Liao. Suddenly, they look a much more dangerous team. Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of the, the we all kind of thought Switzerland were a big price. I had a decent bet on Switzerland to qualify, but you kind of when I saw Ronaldo out of the team, I was just like, I was just like, we could be in trouble here. You're kind of yeah. you're still hoping. Uh, maybe it wasn't Portugal's best team, no Leo and uh, no Cancelo. But you, like, I think that the thing it's hard to price in with Ronaldo is he's like he's a negative kind of multiplier effect on all of his teammates, and especially the attacking ones. Like Sky Sports had statistics earlier in the season that like Bruno Fernandez was averaging a goal or assist every ninety-five minutes before he joined United, and one goal every kind of two hundred and forty minutes. Goal, one goal or assist every two hundred and forty minutes with Ronaldo there. You can say there's some noise in those statistics because maybe Ronaldo would have taken over from Bruno as the penalty taker, but there is a lot of truth to it. And if you watch United regularly, like Bruno would be really deferential to Cristiano. He'd like instead of playing the right pass, he'd be looking to get set Ronaldo up with, for a header, which would work maybe one in thirty times. Like, whereas I think when he when you've kind of a striker who's actually um, making unselfish runs and 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 kind of pinning defenders it really unlocks the kind of creative the creative attacking players like yeah felix had by far his best game of the tournament he looked like a player on the verge of being dropped to the player that that took of a player who was worth them the, the huge transfer fee that a kind of atletico atletico madrid paid, paid for him a few years ago so i think that's the kind of the that's the that's the thing with Portugal. Even though you might say, like the Goncalo Ramos goal was kind of a very difficult finish, finish that maybe isn't sustainable. Their set goes from a set piece, which again maybe you can say is it isn't kind of necessarily sustainable. It's still I still feel it, it's 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 kind of it's hard to quantify how much of a difference, a positive difference, dropping Ronaldo can make to a team. And I think that's so. I think that so makes like as we said before the tournament, like the names in the team sheet are unbelievable for Portugal like for a country so small their depth of yeah. talent is incredible like for like the like the like their options at fullback like with Cancelo Rafael Guerrero Dallo Nuno Mendes like for a t- country of 10 million people to have those options like the like the options like they, they, they can drop Ruben Neves no problem they can have like a hundred million attacking wide player Rafael Leo in the bench no problem like it's kind of the the, the depth of pal- talent with Portugal is, is it's outstanding I would have a lot of questions about Fernando Santos, but without Ronaldo there, the talent might just be overwhelming. And like as in, I think they're a really live contender. And I think Didier Deschamps and Gareth Southgate would both be worried. Would both have been? Well, they'd be far more worried about Portugal than they would have been 
with kind of Cristiano Ronaldo in the team. So I think, yeah, so I think it, it's, it makes them really interesting. And I think the market mightn't be giving them enough credit mm-hmm. here. All, just just with Morocco having gone 120 minutes against Spain and also uh, Nea Fagerd as well sorry I'm probably butchering the pronunciation but the centre back West Ham centre back who was really outstanding him and Sice were absolutely brilliant against Spain and I think Agard looks to possibly more even serious injury than Sice I think he's likely out and and, and Sice, Sice looked to have done a hamstring so you potentially your two four, first choice centre backs either weakened or out and just when you're coming up against Portugal and playing the way Morocco play where it's as, as Mark Stinchcombe said low, low possession low block and relying on that kind of centre back strength that's a real concern um, so I liked I think I think Portugal might win big here that they're 1.7.73 to win the match I liked them kind of minus one in the Asian handicap at around kind of 2.4-ish so if Portugal win by one goal you get your money back I can see if Portugal score early and Morocco have to come out. I can see, I can see, um, I can see Portugal winning comfortably. But just I think even if it is Morocco's kind of last dance this tournament, just to give a word for Sofia and Amrabat, he's kind of oh, channeled, amazing. He's amazing. channeled. He's channeled kind of Roy Keane and Golo Kante, those real, <laughs> real warrior over my dead body midfield performance. He's been he's been magnificent. And it's as someone said on Twitter, it's very funny in the international football you see lads like Hakim Ziyech who don't try a leg when they don't have the ball club level and are suddenly work, like defending like their lives dependent for their country and I think like the Morocco mm-hmm. the Morocco coaching staff have got massive buy-in from these players but I just suspect given the 120 minutes and uh, 120 minutes and the defensive injuries it might be a game too far and I can see Portugal win this comfortably it's like uh, in the rise of Skywalker when Ray hears all of the voices of the Jedi go through her head. Amrabat's hearing all of the voices of the great defensive midfielders of the past. That won't make any sense to Mark O'Hare. Uh, Mark, this is a really weird situation, right? Because Cristiano Ronaldo is demonstrably one of the best players we've seen in the sport. But we're all hammering him and saying, yes, it's great that he's been dropped. And we all knew as soon as we saw that team sheet, we backed Switzerland. We thought Switzerland were going to do well. Literally, as soon as you saw that team sheet and he wasn't in it, your heart sank because you knew Switzerland was suddenly in big trouble. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, yeah, it's, it's it's not just going forward. It's defensively too. Um, it's like playing of a, a man less in defence because he's not able to get around whether he wants to or not. He's, he's not able to. And I think we saw that when he came on for his cameo. Uh, there was a nice ball put through to him and he just had no legs to try and get after it and was easily sort of surpassed. So, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I was messaging with friends uh, who were similarly on, on Switzerland too. And as soon as we got the news... We all put our heads in our hands because we knew probably the game was up. But what we didn't probably expect was the news that's come out of the Swiss camp since is that there was a bit of illness going around, um, which obviously saw a few players <clears throat> miss out and a few players play who clearly weren't 100%. And um, what you would say is, you know, I think if Switzerland were, were able to put up their best team uh, playing to 100%, it would have been a much more competitive contest. And I think you can see that in the first two goals they conceded. Brilliant finish from Ramos, but... Um, you know how Fabian Scher doesn't even try and make a challenge to try and you know close the shot down. Um, you know he doesn't, he barely even moves his foot towards it, and uh, he didn't look 100% at all before he did go off. And then the second goal, just no marking at all from the set piece, and it's pretty much game over then. So um, yeah, I'm sort of warm, a lot warmer on Portugal now without Ronaldo out of the team based on that performance, but also a bit wary too that we might be overreacting to just one 90 minutes against a Swiss team who 
who looked tired mentally and physically from that match against Serbia, which was only a couple of days beforehand, as well as the reports that they might have been suffering through illness and, and sickness in the camp as well. So Portugal scored six goals from just nine on-target attempts. They only had 10 shots in the box in that game and scored six goals from them as well. So Morocco are not going to be as easy to penetrate. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I take on board everything the guys have said. I, I'm leaning towards unders. I would have been really keen on Morocco plus one, but right now we have no idea how fit and available those key players are. And they are massively key players because before the competition, we fancied Morocco as a bit of a an outsider to, to turn up the... Um, the noise really on Belgium in that group didn't expect them to get through to this stage of the competition but uh, the starting 11 on paper was, was very strong and that's even with Amin Harit missing out through injury on the eve of the competition we still felt there was a, a strong enough 11 there uh, with real potential but you look at the, the key areas of that field particularly in defence Hakimi and Masraoui have been playing with Knox since the first game basically Masraoui had to go off in that game against Spain as Emmett says Aguiard and uh, Saiz as well be very surprised if both of them play if not you know, one of them's probably going to miss out here because neither of them looked anyway close to being fit enough to play just five days later so and obviously that the fatigue mentally and physically which comes you know getting this far but they will be backed by huge support and i think it's it's telling that everyone out in qatar is talking about the moroccan support here so perhaps that might be able to fill them put um yeah give them an ex, a bit of an extra edge here but um so coming into this match if morocco are at full strength i'd be looking at morocco plus one but the price is long gone um, I think a slightly overreaction on Portugal. I'd probably disagree with Emmett there to to what happened, but yeah, you can't back them with any sort of confidence, knowing that possibly three, four um, of their key players might be missing in this match. So happy to sort of ignore all those markets and instead focus on opposing goals, as Stinch has as well. Uh, I think BCDS No is a big runner at 1.8, um, but also the unders is, is a nice price too. Um, Morocco, you know, just kind of reiterating some of those stats that Stinch talked about, but they're giving up, they have given up 1.95 expected goals from open play through four fixtures, which is remarkable. It's about an average of about 0.5 per game. And they've played Belgium, Croatia and Spain. And as he says, you know, Spain had over a thousand passes. They've averaged around 33-35% of the ball. Uh, only Brazil, Argentina and France have allowed fewer shots per game of the teams left in the competition. And you'd say Argentina and France have had a much kinder route to the quarterfinals than Morocco. They've only conceded six shots on target as well <laughs> in their four matches. And the only goal they conceded was a known goal. So um, just staggering numbers, really. And it just shows that you can play with a low block and still deny opponent opposition teams clear cut opportunities too so their game plan is not going to change whatsoever they're going to play on the counter-attack they're going to try and make life difficult it's up to Portugal to try and move the ball a bit quicker uh, than Spain did it's very ponderous uh, very pedestrian their style so I think Portugal can be a bit more direct uh, got a bit more energy about them uh, across the park so fascinated really I think it will be a, a attack against defence I can't see this being a a high scoring game surprised under two and a half goals is available at the price it is um, and outside of that just two sort of Moroccan based angles we say Morocco you know despite sort of sitting in that low block they almost won the shot count against Spain which kind of goes to show that they would do play with intent when possession is turned over uh, and Masraoui if he does play um, he's basically double the price of Hakimi to have a shot he's 2.38 just to have a shot and it's landed in three of his four games so far and he's had a shot on target in two of those four games He's 8.5 to have a shot on target in this match, which is a, a very big price. You know, all the attention is on, on Hakimi. Mers Mersraoui is no, uh, 
yeah, he's well capable himself. And then also Ziyech as well. Uh, Emmett talked about his his energy and his intent um, out of possession. He's 2.38 to commit two or more fouls in this match. He is pretty clumsy um, and he does put his foot out. Um, he's landed it in three of the four games so far. And he's actually had three or more fouls in two of those four games too. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of World Cup Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. If you want the best tips and insight delivered straight to your inbox, you can sign up for our World Cup newsletter at betting.betfair.com. Worth bearing in mind, we've got tons of quarterfinal preview content on the site, including an article that gives you five reasons to back England to win the World Cup. From Emmett, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.